you guys for coming out one more time. Look, you guys will have to come to, uh, one more month. And we'll have a break until March. And then we'll see what flows from there. But um, these have been well worth it. Well worth it. Um, tonight, again, I'm going to examine something that we have all talked about and quoted and all that kind of stuff. I am going to try to give a little extra information. Um, some of it may not be so new, but I was intrigued, so I figure I should pass it on. You know, we've learned so much these past months, and we mustn't lose focus on what the whole point is. And the whole point really is Jesus, just him. You know, nothing complicated, nothing extra, just simply who he is. My prayer is that everyone that has been here, no matter if it's been once or twice or whatever, that you come away blessed, that you come away with more, um, that you hopefully are a little different and not the same, and that you see God and yourself differently. My hope is that we have all become more intimate with the ultimate lover, that we love him more and more deeply, and we allow him to love us more deeply. Um, as you guys know, lately it seems like I've been on a tangent of the things that we often talk about and we often quote, and um, I think sometimes we miss the letter of the law of what he'd written because we get so used to quoting it and it's become almost a cliche and it's not really, really God's words. And whenever we lighten the word of God, it loses its importance and it loses its focus of what he was trying to convey to us. And we're not saying it with faith. We're just saying it because it fits the situation. And I think that's, you know, wrong for us to misuse the word of God in any way. So I'm going to go into 2 Corinthians 4. And my title tonight will be, Don't Lose Heart. Don't lose heart. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to get off focus, to get, you know, more consumed with the mess that comes in our lives and the pain and the sadness and the, all the other stuff that we can name. And we lose heart and we lose focus on what we really have. And it is a ploy of Satan. But Satan's ploys only work when we allow them to work because we are greater than him. So we have to make sure we always take a stance that he cannot knock me down. That if I get knocked down, it was a choice I made. I think anyone who has heard and read about Paul's ministry has to be compelled by his undying loyalty to his redeemer. He is truly a hero of the gospel. Paul had a lot of persecution and adversaries, a lot to overcome, far more than what we've had, if you put it in as far as the physical force. Um, ours is, I think, more mental at times. And I'm sure when you're getting beaten and locked up, it becomes mental as well. But for some reason, he never lost heart. He stayed on course and stayed with the fight. To overcome any obstacle, you must first get your mind straight. It's not just behaviors that you do, but it has to be a mind transformation that takes place. You must pull all of your mental toughness and you must make a plan. I think one reason why Paul was able to overcome so much was because he had an unshakable faith in God. He would not allow the outside stuff to push him to believe that his God was not real. He didn't play games in his own mind. Because that's what we do. We get into a mind game. We're really just playing with ourselves, though. Rather, he chose that it was impossible for him to mistrust God. He did not entertain the thoughts that this God is not real. And if he is so real, why was he allowing me to taste all of this pain? 
And if you have to keep in mind that most, if not all, of his persecution came solely for righteousness' sake. Him defending the gospel, him pushing forth God's agenda was the force of all his persecution. We cannot say the same. We have caused a lot of problems on ourselves. And then we chide God for our problems. Well, he really didn't have nothing to do with it. Yet, he comes to our rescue and pulls us out. But, you know, the stories are a little different. Now, Paul was able to firsthand see the anguish that Christ took when he had to take on our sins. He watched the, the, the crosswalk. He watched his Savior, the one whom he loved, die, get beaten, be trampled on, be disrespected. He watched that. So I will say that he maybe had a more intimate view of what it took for him to get where he is at, and it gave him more passion and more purpose. But really, can we say that we should have any less? Because if we believe what we read and we can feel what God felt, wouldn't it be the same? Because God is very visual when he actually touches you. He will allow you, if you want, to take that walk with him. He will make it clear to you what he went through. And if you actually pray that, to be able to see that and feel that, which is an intense prayer, but if you pray that, everything will look different for you. If you actually can almost put yourself up there on the cross and imagine what it felt like to take on what he took on, aside from the, the physical, but what that did to his, his, his mind and his spirit and his soul, if you can embody that, you see God very differently. It makes the whole thing far more passionate for you. So Paul knew the degradation that Christ went through was not even close to his. He said, I mean, really, can I can compare? This is God going through what he went through. Should I act like mine is so big when I watched him take a beating for me? When I watched him actually die for me, and I'ma complain about being locked up? I'ma complain about getting whipped? And people's talking bad about me? I think he had a different perspective. I think he had a different view of God than what we have sometimes. He watched Jesus not complain. He watched Jesus never doubt his father. Never stumble. Never lose faith. We have the same view. It's right on our laps. If we want to believe it, if we want to take it further than some words and some letters and make it real, we have that ability. The most important thing, I think, is that Jesus and Paul were more committed to the will of God than we are. They are committed to doing God's will, not their own will. And we kind of get that mixed up ever so often. We get on a path of Jesus' will, and we like, ooh, the Jesus is all this, and he's going to do this, and I think he's so lovely. And then a little heartache comes, a little pain comes, and we get back to the doubting game. And we say, well, maybe I can fix this. And maybe the Jesus is taking a little too long. So let me step in and help you show you maybe where you need to go in case you lost your way. But it becomes again our will, not God's will. When we get to the place where God's will is grander than ours, when we get to the place where we fully know the will of God and we have become so intimate with Christ that he reveals his will to us, we too will be heroes of the gospel. So let's take a look at some scriptures See how they instruct us to fight this amazing fight. And the thing is, we are a lot like Paul. As long as we believe that we are not needed for the continuing of the gospel, we will not do what the gospel asks of us. 
as long as I think I don't have a role in the pushing of the gospel. Then I just sit back and say, well, that was for them. Oh, that's for the minister folks. That's for the folks up there talking. That's for everybody, because we're all ministers of Christ. And whenever you lower yourself on the rankings, and you say, I'm not as grand as the next person sitting next to me, you then feel like you don't have to do what the next person has to do. We are all responsible for the promoting of the gospel. Our lives are supposed to always speak the gospel. God has entrusted the gospel to us. In spite of our past, he still wants us to push the gospel. Christ trusts what he has placed in us to ensure that his word will not be lost. Has God placed his spirit in you? Maybe you're a little unsure. Maybe you need to go revisit the spirit again. It's okay if you have to. Do you trust what God has placed in you? Do you cherish what God has placed in you so much that you will make sure it will not be lost? In order for us to preserve the gospel, we must know the truth of the scriptures. We must not obscure them and taint them for our benefit. We must know the intimate, vulnerable, transparent word of God so that it is never misused or we are never misguided by what others say. The other thing is that we must be living what we advocate. No more shameful hidden secrets. We must live plainly, transparently, and honestly. Not just for others to be able to see the power of God, but so that God can have free will to use us. These houses of clay that he has placed his glory in. It's hard for God to use us when we're all dirty and muddled up. And we wonder why we're not seeing more of Jesus in our lives. We got too much filth. And when we got a clean vessel here and a little dirty one here, it's easier to use the clean one. So clean yourself up. Maybe the Lord will use you a little more. And you know I'm talking about the deep hidden stuff. You know I'm not talking about that, that stuff on the surface that we can easily discard. But the secrets. The stuff that nobody knows but you and Jesus. That's the stuff he needs us to clean out. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm going to read just verses 1 through 2 right now. It says, since God has so generously let us in on what he is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's word to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Now that's the message version. I'm going to read the amplified version as well. It says, therefore, since we do hold and engage in this ministry, by the mercy of God, granting us favor, benefits, opportunities, and especially salvation, we do not get discouraged, spiritless, and despondent with fear, or become faint with weariness and exhaustion. So the key to this scripture is to hold and engage in the ministry of God by his mercy, of course. For if we are holding and engaging in God, we will not be discouraged, faint, or exhausted. I don't believe there is one that can say they haven't got discouraged. I think we can all raise our hands and say we've been discouraged in the walk. I think we got discouraged because we weren't holding on. And we, we did not engage in the gospel. We stopped engaging in God. This is not supposed to be a walk that you just do haphazardly. This was supposed to be a walk that you become very involved in. So God has to become as a part of your life as you are. Everything you do, he's supposed to be right there with you. Holding on to him, engaging into what he wants us to do. Now, either we didn't know the real knowledge of God, possible, or we were holding on to man instead of God. 
Verse 2 gives us the next step. It says, we have renounced, rejected, and surrendered disgraceful ways, secret thoughts, feelings, desires, and underhandedness, the methods and the arts that men hide through shame. We refuse to deal craftily, to practice trickery and cunning, or to adulterate or handle dishonestly the word of God. But we state the truth openly, clearly and candidly, and we so command our, commend um, see, ourselves in the sight and presence of God to every man's conscience. We have to ask ourselves, what have we not succumbed to? Is it that we have not renounced our disgraceful ways? And what part of your disgraceful ways are you still holding on to? Have you used the scriptures for trickery? Now remember, this is not just about the preacher on the pulpit, but each of us. It is my opinion that we should not use the Bible to further our thoughts, but it should only be the two to promote Christ and Christ alone. If you were searching the scriptures to validate you, then you were searching the scriptures with trickery. It's a good chance you're dealing with the word dishonestly. You got to be careful. Because a lot of times we're saying we're studying, but we're studying to try to promote our own opinions, to promote our own ideas. Well, look, oh, I got that scripture. That sounds close to what I've been saying. We're not even thinking about what the Lord was trying to reveal to us. We're so busy trying to get our stuff carried over, and because we're religious, we say, let's put a little bit of scripture behind it. Well, that's wrong. We're never supposed to use the Bible for anything but to promote Christ. That's why it's so twisted out there, because everybody started promoting themselves. Well, this is what I think is important, so let me preach this. Is the sight and presence of God with you? so that man can judge himself in your presence. Is God just radiating in you that when people come to you, they like, oh, I know I didn't kind of messed up. Do they see the Jesus in you? Or are you just like everybody else? And it doesn't have to be a show show, a big thing, but it should be something that you just have within you. Go to verses six through seven. It says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts so as to beam forth the light for the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and glory of God, as it is manifest in the person and is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. However, we possess this precious treasure the divine light of the gospel in frail human vessels of earth, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. So often the Bible speaks of the light and his children experiencing light. Look at Luke 1, 74 through 79. And this is when he spoke to Abraham. And remember, we have the promises of Abraham. And in 74, he starts off with what he will give them, a clean rescue from the enemy camp so we can worship him without a care in the world. That's what he wants. He's willing to give us a clean rescue from the camp of the enemy, just so that we can come in and worship him without a care in the world. Made holy before him as long as we live. And you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways, present the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins. Through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness, though sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way, one foot at a time, down the path of peace. 
this was not supposed to be so complicated. He really is not trying to trick us at all or make the path dark. He is the light. We keep turning the light off. And then we're like, why are we in the dark? Flip the switch. He's right there. We in the dark because we choose to be in the dark. He said he would guide us one foot at a time down the path of peace. Why is our path not peace? Why is our path so tumultuous? What is wrong? It's because we're not holding on and engaging in Christ. Remember, the gospel was set forth not just for our redemption, but to help redeem others. We lose focus on helping to redeem others when we're so encased in our own turmoil. How can I spread the gospel to anyone else effectively, not just rambling off scriptures, saying you're going to hell so you need to come get saved. I'm talking about having an effective life where you barely have to say anything. But you're showing people towards Christ. When does that happen? Let's look again and let's look uh, at Paul on the Damascus Road, Acts 26, 16 through 18. And again, I'm talking about him showing us the light. He said he was the light. It says, then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you were persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to point you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is why Paul had such vigor. He knew what God spoke to him, that I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to send you to be that light, that you're going to be the one that turns people from Satan to God, and I'm going to be right there with you the whole time. Have you had a Damascus experience? Has your experiences with God been so profound that they have shook you up to where you never be back to where you were before. Paul never could go back to who he was before. That experience has changed his very life. This is not just about you walking down the aisle, getting baptized, and speaking in tongues. But what did he speak to you? And if he hasn't spoke to you yet, y'all got some chatting to do. Has God shown himself to you and gave you a commission for your life? If you have no commission, you need to chat with him. Because I don't know what I'm doing, Jesus. There's something you need me to do for you. I'm not supposed to just be sitting here toiling, right? I got all this power in me. It's something I'm supposed to do with it. Not come to church and just sit on the pew every Sunday. I have a mission. Everyone God touched in the Bible came out with a mission. Why we don't have missions? Why we the same folks, supposedly full of the Spirit, so touched by Jesus, yet we have no mission for our life? Why is it when God spoke to these other people at their conversion? Why did he tell them what he wants from them? Why are we missing that at the altar? I think because too many folks are talking. I think that we don't have time to just be with Jesus and let Jesus do what he's going to do. Maybe we need to just shh and let God speak. I need your commission for my life. There's something I know I'm supposed to be doing for you. For you. And I know whatever I'm doing for you, I got to touch somebody else. 
it will not be just wrapped up in me, and I'm just so full of uh, glory, and I just got so much knowledge and strength and power, and I'm not passing it on to somebody else. His, his message was always supposed to be passed. He gives it to you to give to somebody else. They give it to somebody else. It's supposed to be a huge circle. We, we stopped circling. We didn't got so comfy in, I suppose it would be trying to get something from Jesus. I think we're trying to get something from Jesus. I don't know what we're trying to get from him, though. <laughs> but we're trying to get something. Because, I mean, why would we, you know, spend our time? We spend a lot of time coming to, to services and, and talking to the Lord and doing the stuff that seems Christian. That I would suppose we're trying to get something from him. I don't think we want what he has to give, though. And I think that's where we went wrong. We want what we want, but not necessarily what he wants to give us. Because think about what he gave Paul. He didn't really give him just great life that we all looking for, because that's how we say we blessed. The great life. Look at the life Paul had after his conversion. He had a far better life before the conversion. You know, on our, our scheme of things, he walked into some, whoa. Maybe that's what it is. We're not really willing to suffer for Christ's sake. So we like, well, I don't really want to know the commission if it's going to be something that's going to be a little hard. Do we got to struggle? I mean, <laughs> I got to suffer a little bit for you? Oh, Jesus. Can't you come up with another plan? At least just for me. <laughs> Let the other folks struggle. But can, can I just get away easy? <laughs> can I be the person that just pray every day? Can, can that be my, my you know, lot in life that I just have to pray? Hmm. We often speak of our conversion. But have you lived up to what God has called you for? Do you still see the light of Christ in your life? Or has it gotten a bit dim? The light is the knowledge of God's salvation. The knowledge of his salvation. What that really means to be saved. It is a glory issuing from and seen in the face of Christ. If you can't see God's face, you don't know his knowledge. And remember, this is supposed to be then reflected in us, the face of God. How can I reflect his face if I don't know him? If I don't know what his glory is, how do I show forth something I don't know? I guess. So we've all had this guessing game for the past Five, six, 10, 20, 15, 30 years. Just guessing. Hopefully that looked like Jesus. That's the Jesus I read about. That's the one they taught me in Sunday school. But we never really figured it out for ourselves. Can we see the face of Christ in you? I mean, do we think, like, God is supposed to be able to look at us and see himself? Now, see, we could stand in the mirror and say, I see Jesus. But if God was standing in front of you, would he say, I see me? Wow. That's a different examination. Yeah. Or has the pressures and disappointments in this walk caused you to persecute Christ again? Because wow. remember, when we start doubting and tripping and doing all that, it's just a persecution of Christ. We're doing just like the naysayers. You're not this and you're not that. You're supposed to be this. Boy, you're a disappointment. And I mean, if we're honest, we have all felt disappointed by God. That somehow he let us down. So when we go into that mode, we persecute Christ. Have you forgotten the promises or have you not investigated the promises? Do you believe in the absoluteness of Christ? 
or is your belief half-hearted? I believe when it's convenient. I believe it to a degree. But what he's saying on the whole scale, we in our minds are saying that mess is impossible. Ain't no way he's going to give us all that and rescue us from all that. We, we, we say it's not possible. A persecution of Christ. Until we can have full faith in God and believe his will is perfect, that he will not put more on us than we can bear, and that the plans he has for us are good and not evil, the next verses I'm going to read mean nothing. Mean nothing. We may be able to quote them, but without faith in them, they have no meaning in our lives. Without faith, he cannot sanctify or purify you. So we have missed purification and we have missed sanctification because we have no faith. If I believe he can't do it, it's not done. If I believe I can't get saved, I will never get the salvation. I'm not going to be down there speaking in tongues saying, oh, this can't happen. It, it won't happen. How can my life get turned around when I say it can't happen? How can I become pure and clean if I say it can't happen? Without faith, you get none of it. That faith thing, I tell you. It, everything is tied to that. Everything in this walk is tied to the faith thing. Which is why he said without faith. Impossible. Because I can't even sanctify you. And I can't even purify you. So how are you going to be able to please me? So let's move over to verses 8 through 10. And we have all quoted these. And we know when we just sing the songs. But they've meant nothing to us because we don't believe them. It says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do. But we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. These bodies of ours are constantly facing death, just as Jesus did. So it is clear to all that it is only the living Christ within who keeps us safe. If Christ is not living within you, he cannot keep you safe. See, if we would be able to explain the spirit in these terms, people would want the spirit. That it is the spirit that keeps me safe. That this is nothing for us to fight and argue about. This is nothing for me to, 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 to fuss at you and say you're going to hell about. This is about safety. This is about connection to God. That's why we want his spirit. Not to say, oh, because I got it. But imagine if you would be able to tell somebody about this side of the spirit. That this is the thing that joins you with the Christ. Most people will want it who want to know Jesus. So let's take each aspect of these scriptures and break them down a bit further. I think sometimes we read too fast and miss some great insight to what the Lord wanted us to have. So it says we are pressed on every side by troubles. Now this refers to the fact that there was not just one type of trouble that came, but they came in all different ways and forms. These different ways pressed him in on every side. At first look at the conditions one may say that there is no way to turn, nowhere to go, that everywhere he looked, there was a problem attacking him. It means he was encompassed by trials, compressed by evils, and afflicted. At some point in our lives, we have felt like this. Like if this is the will of God, he's a cruel God. But if you look at the buts, 
It's huge in the Bible. Paul knew what this, this was happening to him. He's not talking from somebody else's experience. This is his life. I mean, imagine being in a cage where you can't even move. Well, all you can do is just stand. And everything around you is trouble. Just pressing you, pushing you in, trying to take you out with every force it has. It goes on to say, but not crushed or broken or distressed. He was pushed and pressed by all of these trials, yet they could not break him, could not be crushed. They're pushing, thinking they're crushing him, and they're not doing nothing, really. The idea is that though we, though, I'm sorry, he was close pressed by persecution and trials, yet he was not so hemmed in that he had no way to turn himself. His trials did not wholly prevent motion and action. He was not so closely pressed as a man would be who was caged that he could not move his body. He still had resources. He was permitted to move. The energy of his faithfulness and the vigor of his soul could not be entirely cramped and impeded by the trials which encompassed him. One scholar renders it, in all things we are pressed, but we are not suffocated. The idea is he was not wholly discouraged and disheartened and overcome. He had resources in his devoutness which enabled him to bear up these trials and still to engage in the work of the preaching and the living of the gospel. You can't break me, but we give into the brokenness. We say I've been broken. We say that one got me. That's not what the Bible says. I can't be broken. And I can't be crushed. I have always have resources. That's faith. I always have resources to move. Though you think that I can't find a way out, watch me maneuver out of this one. You think you have enclosed me so tightly that I cannot get out. But there's my way out. Because he said he's going to always make a way of escape. But we don't look for the way of escape. We stay there and say, press me. Because you got me that time. Ah. The difference between him and us is that he really believed in his God and that God would not leave him encased in trouble and not deliver him. He said, it's impossible. I can push all you want, but I know God going to come get me. Oh, he's going to make a way out. Ain't no sense in me getting all upset. There's a way. When we can take this stance, when we become encased in our troubles, our mindset will help to deliver us and God will then be able to show up. Remember, we got to have the faith so he can show up. It goes on to say that we are perplexed because we don't know why things are happening as they do. Perplexed means to know not what to do, to hesitate, to be in doubt and anxiety as a traveler is who is ignorant of the way or who has not the means of prosecuting his journey. It means here that they were often brought into circumstances of great embarrassment. I mean, imagine the stuff they went through and still got beat, still got jailed, and we talk about how great the Jesus is, and he's the God, and he can deliver, and he's doing miracles. He can't get you out of jail. That's some embarrassment. And we sit and profess, ours, we don't really believe all we profess, but we profess that we serve this Jesus and he gonna come and da-da-da-da-da. We embarrass sometimes. Like, dang, I've been trying to do the Jesus thing. 
trying to come to church and pray and fast and read and, and the life not working out. I'm a little embarrassed. Should I really be saying Jesus is so great? I'm a little nervous. Why are you letting these things come my way? I got doubt. I got anxiety. I am perplexed. They were surrounded by enemies who craved to destroy them. Like they just wanted to take them out. They were in circumstances which they had not anticipated and which greatly perplexed them. Now you can think of some time in your life when you have been like, you got to be kidding, this is coming my way. I mean, really? I'm living this right now? Sometimes you got to step back and look at your own life and say, what? This is what I got to go through? And can you tell me why? So we get stuck in the why. You're going to have to explain why before I have faith. You're going to have to tell me each step of why this happened, why you thought this was a good idea. You thought this was going to produce something good because you said that all things work together for the good. Show me that. After you show me that, then I'm going to have some faith. Well, that's not faith. Because you need sight, but not faith. Stop fooling yourself. But here we have another but. It says, but we don't give up or not in despair. We're not supposed to be in despair. We're not supposed to be throwing up the towel and saying, just forget the whole thing. That is not what the Bible wanted. That is not what Jesus put forth in our lives. The word means to be utterly without resources, to despair altogether. And the idea of Paul here is that they were not left entirely without resource. Their needs were provided for. Their embarrassments were removed. Their grounds of perplexity, the not knowing, were taken away. An unexpected strength in resources were imparted to them. Unexpected. Wow, I feel okay in this. Oh, that's how I get out of it. Faith, though, takes me out of it. Faith opens my mind to God and lets God speak into it. When they did not know what to do, when all resources seemed to fail them, in some unexpected manner, they would be relieved and saved from absolute despair. How often does this occur in the lives of Christians? And how certain is it that in all such cases, God will interpose by his grace and aid his people and save them from absolute despair. We will never be entirely without resources. Stop thinking that you're left by yourself. Stop thinking that God has not already provided the way. Like he's not cooking it up in the back. The way is already provided. He's not saying, oh, dang, what do we do next? <laughs> Your life has not shocked him. Your circumstances have not been like a surprise to Jesus. He is waiting for you to have some faith so I can walk you out of this thing. I'm trying to prove myself to you, but you doggone folks won't listen. He may not say doggone, <laughs> but... Why won't you hear me? Why do you keep wanting not to have what I want to give you? I want you not to be broken. I want you not to be crushed. I'm giving you a way where you never have to give up and you're never in despair. Why do you choose the other? Why do you choose to be perplexed and pressed in? It's our choice. We're kind of stupid sometimes. <laughs> we, I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of stupid for us to choose the other. It goes on to say that we're hunted down or persecuted. If you can envision being hunted, 
Think of a lion after his prey. Now the Bible says that Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. We are being hunted by Satan and whom he uses to try to kill us. Kill our lives. Kill the hope. Kill the faith, the peace, and the freedom. Remember, it's not necessarily your life they're trying to take, but they're trying to take every good thing that God has promised you from your life. And some of us, the, the, the lion's coming, and we just say, here we are. You ain't got to really search very far. I'm just out here in the open going to kill me. We don't even run behind the tree. I mean, did we not learn hide and seek? Goodness. Though we may not always be on alert, our enemy is on alert, looking for every opportunity to devour us. Let us not be deaf, dumb, and blind prey, making it easy for Satan to attack us. Do we not know the poise of the enemy? Are we not capable of putting on the whole armor so that we can defeat Satan? Why do we want to be armorless? And just say, okay, Jesus, I mean, excuse me, Satan, devour me. But God came back with, he will never abandon us. So though we're out in the open, acting the fool, he didn't cover us. And said, nah, Satan can't have that one. They really hiding now. They hiding in me. And not because we asked to hide, just because he's so gracious and kind and loving. He says, let me cover this dummy up. They just sitting out here in the open. They won't even go behind the tree. He's so kind. They and we are not deserted. Let us stop acting like we're all by ourselves. And let us stop acting like having Jesus is a small thing. I got Jesus, but oh, how dare you put a butt on Jesus? But I wish I had. Then you don't really want the Jesus. He's not enough. But we're not confident or, or satisfied with just having Jesus as if he can't do everything. He never left, because he can't leave. Even though we are persecuted by people, they experience the fulfillment of divine promise, the fulfillment of it. They saw God step in each and every time. Each and every time, somehow, he came. He was there. He delivered. Why are we not having a deliverance each and every time? Because our stuff just be sitting on top of each other. It's not like we get delivered and then something come, and then we get delivered. We just consumed. God always interjected to aid them, always saved them from the power of their enemies, always sustained them in the time of persecution. And it is still true. This is who he is. His people have been often persecuted, yet God has often interposed to save them from the hands of their enemies. And when he has not saved them from their hands and preserved their lives, yet he has never left them but has sustained, upheld, and comforted them, even in the dreadful agonies in their death. See, we don't want to go that far. Mm, don't want to be sustained in death. But you see people that have been sustained in death. People who you know who have went on to be with Christ, and you've been at their bedside, you see something happen. They're not scared or afraid. God has actually taken their hand and walked them into glory. That's what he did with his people. He didn't just let them die in agony. I would like to believe that all the beatings and the whippings and the, the tearing that these martyrs went through, they didn't feel it. When it got to that point where their life had to be taken, he probably just said, Psh, 
phone and let them think they did something to you, but we know. You just didn't went on to someplace great. See, we got to believe he has the power to do that stuff. That he is really miraculous. Like, he's not playing with us. Like, he's really something else. If you can make your view of God much bigger and see him as a God that can do just like anything, you can dream up. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. You see him different. It's like, wow, I have this. This is mine. This is my Jesus. But when we keep him little and small and like, oh, he can't, you know, we act like he can't even help a headache, let alone deliver me from just, you know, tons and thousands of bills and all that. He can't do that if he can't help my headache. We've made him too small. So we don't see how big he can be in our lives. We've got to change our view of God. He really is that big. Jeez. Not only in our physical death does he do these things, but the death of some of our treasured desires and sins. The treasured ones. The ones we love, hold on to, have become our babies. Those ones. If you are willing to let them die, he will sustain you, uphold you, and comfort you as you kill it. Those sins that drive you away from him. The sin of faithlessness. The sin of doubt. The sin of mistrust. If you kill it, he will comfort you, hold you, and sustain you as you let it go. He's so kind. For he truly does not have to do this for us. Does not have to. But he understands the human condition. And wants to help us. Though we're not really doing much to help him. He is not going to allow Satan to hunt us down and then abandon us. Go get him, Satan. And then he just walks away. So we need not have fear. When it comes down to killing the sins of our lives, he will be there during the execution and comfort and interpose his grace, love, mercy, and guidance for the new days ahead. If you're willing to let go of that stuff that keeps you from God, just let it go. Kill it. Seriously, kill it. A true execution. He's right there while you do it, holding your hand. He just needs you to pick up the knife first. Once you pick it up, his hand is on top of your hand guiding you. It goes on to say that we get knocked down or thrown down by our enemies. There are times when our enemy gets a hold of us and knocks us down. This shocks us. Because, you know, we like a little bob and weave, but when you get knocked out, you're kind of shocked. You know, the blows be coming, you're like, whoa, didn't know how to defend that one. We cannot understand why our God will allow us to be knocked down. Why wouldn't he just let us get, you know, bumped? Why he knocking us down? And we often get stuck here, and we don't read the rest, and at this point, we are not even interested in knowing the promise that's set before us. I even want to know what you got left to say. Because then we go into the disappointment, and how could you, and what kind of Jesus are you? I don't even want to read the rest. We just want to ruminate in the fact that we were knocked down. So we stay on the floor bleeding, acting like we can't get up, legs shaky. But it says, we get up. Lord, why didn't we just keep reading? We get up and keep going. Or we are not destroyed, though we have been knocked down. Okay, you got knocked down. Can you get your tail back up? Why are you staying down? Not killed. You're not killed. You just got knocked down. That means you can get back up. They rose again. They recovered their strength. They were prepared for new conflicts. Not down. They regained their strength and then said, bring it on. 
You want to hit me again? I got you. We scared. They surmounted every difficulty and were ready to engage in new strife and to meet new trials and persecutions. Look at their mindset. Look at the mindset, what they had to tell themselves, what they truly believed to keep fighting. This didn't happen. This wasn't like a two-week journey they went through. This was some lengthy time. You know, we don't want to go through nothing for two days. <laughs> now, you know us. Could we really get knocked down knowing that somebody is going to be there tomorrow to knock you down again? And you're like, up, oh, I'm up, I'm full of strength. Let's keep fighting. They blown my mind, I tell you. Those people, they, they had something. That's just amazing. They were knocked down, yet when they got up, they were invigorated to engage in new strife. Like the knockdown gave them more passion to fight harder. They were like, how dare you knock me down? Oh, try to do it again. Us? Then we get tapped and we just like, oh, Lord. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't even throw a punch. They just went like that and we like, whoa. Them? No, invigorated. Okay, give me new strife. What else can you do to me? Show me a new way. Man, I didn't went through that one. I'm not impressed by getting beat with some tails. You got something else? Because I withstood that one. Us, we don't feel we really have withstood stuff. We like, I kind of got through it. I skirted by. I can't say I really just withstood it and I'm better for it and I'm stronger. We like, if they came again, I don't know if I would make it through it again. Oh, my, my, my. What we do is we do get back up. We think often by our own strength. Because we didn't doubt it, Jesus. He's out the picture now. I didn't got back up, but I didn't devise my plan to get back up. So then we deal with life with shaky hands, sweaty palms, and scared. Always looking for what's coming next. How else am I going to get knocked down? What else are you going to do to me? Never really having faith to believe that God got me. We need to be more resilient, steadier in our convictions of the goodness of God, and more determined to spread and show the true meaning of Christ. Yet, we have to want to see the but happen in our lives. See, we, we get stuck on the first half. We don't live the but. Because you know what but means in the sentence. You say, I love you, but you get on my nerves. What you're really saying is you get on my nerves. I said I love you just to kind of clean up the butter you get on my nerves. So in all this stuff, the first stuff didn't even matter. Pressed, that didn't matter. But I'm not abandoned. But I get up again. They lived on the butts. That's the power they had. That's the conviction that they had, that that stuff happened. It didn't really happen. It didn't really matter because I had the butt in my life. Sometimes we are so into being victimized that God's help is in front of us, but we want to hold on to the troubles, the perplexities, being hunted down and knocked down. We want that. I'm so used to living that that I just got comfortable. So only thing I can think about is my perplexities, my troubles, and me being knocked down. I don't think about nothing else. He done showed his hand. He done done stuff. He done been miraculous in our lives. I can't even think about that stuff. Because it's not like he hasn't done stuff. It's not like he hasn't manifested his greatness in our lives. It's just that I want to close the door on that and open the door to all this filth. Because I like that. Instead, we could choose to see ourselves not crushed and broken. I could say I'm not crushed and broken. 
it came, it didn't break me. I'm not crushed. I'm not giving up or quitting. You know what happened? That's not being quitters. Remember your mommy used to tell you that to be a quitter? Why are we such quitters? We've grown up to be just a bunch of punks. We just punk out on everything. Every little thing that come, we just ducking and diving. Man, we need to man up, woman up around here. We act like some weak little babies. But we got so much power and we so full of Jesus. Shame on us. We hold on to, I'm sorry, we could go into never being abandoned by God. Why is the first thought when something comes that God left me? Oh, he wasn't, he wasn't there for me. Why he let that happen to me? Where did Jesus now? Why is that what we run to first? We could say he can't leave me. I can't be abandoned and I can't be forsaken. Why do we choose not to hold on to that? Why isn't that not what we play in our head? And that we're always going to get back up and move forward. Why can't we say, okay, but I know I'm going to move forward. I had a little something I got to jump over, but I know I have to get up and move forward. I have to. It's our choice. You choose. You choose what you want to see. It is there for us because God's word cannot lie. So all the buts ha can happen if you want them to happen. If you want to have the faith to believe, this could be your life. And what a life would that be? I mean, what kind of peace? See, that's then you get that peace beyond the understanding. That just, that, that joy, that inner thing, that no matter what the circumstances come, you just have that. You go back to the fruit of the spirit, you just have all that. Because I got Jesus. What am I tripping off of? Faith. We don't have it. We must stop speaking defeat and start speaking victory. And if we speak our defeat, we must end it with a but. So every time you talk about something bad, you put a but on it. We can talk about the stuff, because Paul, think about it. If you think about this set of scriptures, they're kind of sad. He's saying he's just trapped in. He's being pressed and perplexed. And he's, you know, good Lord, what's happening? But he ended each problem with a but. I think we should try that and see how different our lives look. I think we would be surprised that, wow. See, then it goes into the mind. It goes into the heart and the soul. Faith starts being built up. And I'm going to leave you with these scriptures. Romans 8, 37-39. It says, yet amid all these things, we are more than conquerors and gain a surpassing victory through him who loved us. For I am persuaded beyond doubt that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things impending and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please remember that love and fear cannot exist together. Cannot. If you have fear, you do not have love. They cannot work side by side. We often cannot see the butt of our trials because fear has blinded our eyes from God's complete and perfect love. We're blinded, but it's a blinding that we choose. At any time, you can pull that off and see the light of God. At any time, you can replace that fear with love. First John 4, 18 through 19, there is no fear in love. Dread does not exist but full-grown, complete, perfect love turns fear out of doors and expels every trace of terror. 
for fear brings with it the thought of punishment. And so he who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, is not yet grown into love's complete perfection. We love him because he first loved us. Let God love you so you can learn to love him. But you got to let him do it. You got to let him show himself to you. You got to start with faith and believe that God will show you his love. That it's not just a song. That it's not just stuff we talk about, but that it is deep. It is real. It is passionate. It is so alive. It is not a little dead love that just died on the cross, got up, and then it's just like, okay. It is a strong, passionate thing that he has for us. If you're not feeling that, you need to connect with God. As I've said through all most of these, the love is the, has to be the foundation. Paul and them believed God was deeply in love with them. I mean, they felt like he was just like sprung. Do you think God has sprung over you? Because if you don't, then something's wrong. You don't quite get the knowledge of salvation. Because the whole basis of salvation is the fact that he's in love with you. The whole basis, the foundation of salvation is that I am deeply, passionately, extremely in love with you. If you don't get that, you need to go back and find a way to figure out what salvation really means. Let God love you. Let him love you. He will let you love him back. And it's a beautiful thing when you can truly say, I love you, and know it, and feel it. Once it occurs, there is no need for fear or uncertainty. At the moment, I will know that the plans he has for me are good and never evil.